0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Sunday here at Orange Crest Community Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Josh Delarosa Rosa, and so welcome to our service again. Uh, last week, we celebrated a huge milestone in our church. We, we launched out a team to begin a brand new church, and so here's a picture of the team. We're really excited for them. This team is moving to Santa Clarita to plant Valley Lights Church, and so continue to pray for them. You can check out more about the launch of, of this church from last week's message that's on our website. And But I want to shift gears this morning, and today we're going to launch into a series of messages called Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with a question mark. Because, and I thought this would be really a timely, practical message series, and I had been planning this uh, since last month, uh, but right now it's such a strange, strange time in our in our city and in our neighborhoods. We went from living in frantic, really fast-paced Southern California to now shut indoors with our coronavirus shelter in place, statewide mandates, you know, we're all doing that, uh, to now, you know, protests across our country, uh, boarded up downtown here in Riverside, forced city curfews earlier last week, and so it really has been far from a beautiful day in the neighborhood. In fact, it's really been more like a tension-packed, pressure-filled season, uh, where Right now, maybe you're on the edge of your seat, really wondering what is going to happen next in 2020. And so before we really begin, and even before we pray, let me just say a few things. One, um, everything that occurred in the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis was just incredibly unjust. I I can't imagine the pain that his family now must be in. Uh, No one deserves to be mistreated in the way that he was. And justice itself is really near to the heart of God. And so His Word, the Bible, really speaks to these issues. And so as I'm launching into this message series today, I just want us to be reminded of some of the issues that are really central to the heart of God. Uh, I feel as your pastor, I feel a tremendous burden to uh, guide our church, to live out God's love and to uh, live out His compassion in very real ways and to lead us to really walk carefully in line with His revealed truth, the Bible especially in light of all of these complex issues that our uh, country and world is facing right now. So if, if you want to talk further with me about this on a more personal note uh, about all that's going on right now, I'd love to talk with, with any of you. And I've spoken with, with several of you and prayed with some in our church this week who are hurting. And, and But you can reach out to me through our connection card. So that digital connection card, you can, you can let me know if you want to have more of a personal dialogue. And so I think there's no better time than for us to turn to God's word again for guidance and for clarity. And so let's pray together as we launch into this morning's message. Father, we just look to you right now. Uh, you are in control. Uh, you are all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing. And, and we, can, we can trust you with all things. You hold all things together. We believe that your word is truth, and you have a heart of love and compassion and you lead us, Father, to adopt your your ways and your heart. And so, Father, would you speak to us in this time? Would you help us to uh, align ourselves with how you would want us to live right now in this world, in these days? We pray for your help, and we pray for your our focus this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure right now you have uh, an image in mind of, of neighboring. We're looking at this neighboring series. And so maybe the image for you about neighboring is this guy right here. He's a familiar neighbor. If you grew up watching the show home improvement, uh, he was the neighbor of Tim, the Toolman Taylor, or, or this guy, Steve Urkel. He was a neighbor in family matters and, you know, he was sort of outlandish in his behavior or you have Ethel and Fred. Maybe you grew up watching. I love Lucy. And the, these are the neighbors or, or maybe the neighbor you remember is, is Kramer. If you watch a lot of Seinfeld, uh, another neighbor, you know, and I've referenced him before is Mr. Rogers. And so on TV, it just seems so easy to find a good neighbor or even to be a good neighbor. But then there, there's reality, which for many of us, it's, it's just not like it is on TV. Many years ago, my wife and I, we lived in a condo in Chino Hills, which is here in Southern California, and we loved that condo. We, it, we didn't think we could afford to buy a home or buy a condo, and, and God provided a way for us to do that. And we moved into this cute little community, and... Uh, Everything was going great until our garage got broken into and all of our stuff was sorted through, sifted through, a lot of personal items, a handful of things were stolen out of our garage and it was really really hard to walk through that. It was it was frustrating uh, and you know, that's not what you want from your neighbors. Pretty sure it was a neighbor's son. <laughs> Never ever was able to find out what happened there, but then a few years ago, and I live now here in Riverside and been living in this house for over about 12 years now, uh, a few years ago, my wife called me and she said apparently there were gunshots next door. There was a home invasion robbery, and I guess they could see there was uh, a SWAT team that had surrounded our neighbor's house. Major drug and weapons confiscation. Uh, those neighbors ended up moving out, but it was a frightening time for our for our block. And you know, I've been in this house for now almost 12 years, and and, and now I really enjoy. My neighbors. I enjoy getting to know my neighbors, but it takes time to meet people, to learn people's names, to build trust with people. It just doesn't happen overnight. You know, these days, I really want to know and relate to my neighbors. Who, who would have thought that for the past three months, you know, our neighbors, for all of us, would be the main people that we could legitimately relate to? You know, what about in your life? How, how's life in your neighborhood? Is it a good day? Is it a beautiful day in your neighborhood, on your block, in your complex? Maybe you'd say, I I just don't have the time to add one more thing or more people to my life. I can't hardly keep up with my family and my kids and close friends. There's no way I could find the time to add more people into my life. Maybe that's the barrier of time. Or or maybe you'd say, "I, I I don't think I'd connect with my neighbors. We're so different from them. Maybe you'd say, I just battle with fear when it comes to meeting new people or meeting my neighbors. Or maybe if you're really honest, you're thinking, what's the point? Like, Thanks, Josh, but, but that's just not a priority. That's not a value that I have to get to know my neighbors. But I think right now, we're looking at the challenges facing our world, and we are not sure how to make a real difference. And so I believe that the smartest thing that we can do to impact a community is to actually live out Jesus' command to love our neighbors. And so before we get any further, let's jump into the text in Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at the Bible. Luke chapter 10. It's the New Testament. And we're going to look at verses 20, beginning with verse 25 from Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10. So take a look at it with me. It reads, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So a lawyer stands up, puts Jesus to the test, trying to trap him, trying to catch him, you know, on, uh, check him on the facts, check him on the truth. And, and here's what he says to Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now he said to him, Jesus said to him in reply, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So he turns it back to the man. And he answered in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, so basically the the lawyer knew the answer. This is the most important thing. He knew it. He knew it from God's law, from uh, from the Old Testament. And Jesus says this to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So the law- lawyer poses this question, what what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns it back and says, well, what do you think? What, what does God's law actually say? And so the religious expert, he, he answered the question, love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The answer that he gave has become known as the great commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor. Now, how important was this to Jesus? Well, in, in verse 28, he actually says, do this and you will live. That, that sounds, and Jesus makes this of high importance. It's awfully important to love God and to love our neighbor. Over in another book of the Bible, uh, if you back up to Matthew 22, verse 40, uh, we have a different account of the same interaction. Basically, we read that Jesus says that these two, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So loving God with everything sums up commandments one through five of the 10 commandments. And and then love your neighbor as yourself summarized, is summarized by Jesus's words here of loving your neighbor as yourself. So in my estimation, it is one of the most critical teachings that Jesus has ever taught. So important he says it's the greatest, meaning it should grab our attention, this should grab our, our passions, it should grab our commitments and even our enthusiasm. But here's the real challenge for us, is we know this just like the lawyer. He knew this, but he wasn't doing this. This man, he knew what the scripture said. Here's the thing. Uh, there was a gap. There was a uh, difference between his head knowledge and actually his life. There was no heart response. He wasn't living out the truth, which is why Jesus, who knew this, told him, you've answered these things correctly, do this, and you'll live. Get to work on it. Now, now if we put ourselves in this lawyer's shoes, this guy is feeling the heat. Jesus is probing, and he's asking questions, and he's getting to the heart of this man. And it's so personal. And so the lawyer, he begins to go on the defense mode. And he starts, instead of going to the heart level, he starts to shift uh, the focus of the conversation away from his life with another question. So look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So basically, he's failing to admit that he is a sinful person. He's got a sinful heart. He doesn't really love people and love God in this way. And so he deflects with this question, "Who who's my neighbor? He, he's... He's putting the focus to to get it off his personal life. Now Jesus replies to this in verse thirty. And Jesus replied, and he tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. Now the distance from Jerusalem to Jericho is not far; it's only fifteen miles in distance, but it's a thirty five hundred elevation drop, and so it is the road would be a windy mountain road that is a windy a jagged, steep, dangerous road. So Jesus says there's a man who's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it says that he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So this man in Jesus' story, he's in a desperate, desperate spot. He needs someone to help him. Look at verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then, verse 32, a Levite, so you've got a priest and you've got a Levite, both religious men, I'll talk about them in a moment. A Levite, when he came to the place and saw this beaten man, again, he passed by on the other side. And then in verse 33 comes really the hero of the story, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. So the lawyer knew who the neighbor was, the merciful one. And then Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise. This is almost what he said earlier. You know, do these things and you will live. Here he's saying, the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. You go and do this. Do likewise. That's what's loving. There's a lot going on here in this story. Jesus shares this parable, a short story, just to drive home a point. So you've got these different characters. The first, let's talk about the robbers. The robbers, the thieves in the story, uh, they see a victim to exploit. They didn't view this man as a fellow human being. They they didn't care about his needs. They only wanted to take anything from him that had value. So they stripped him of everything, and they left. They beat him, they stripped him, left him for dead. Now, we have already read the end of the story, and so we we know that Jesus is really setting up that story to just help define and direct us on how to love our neighbor. So you've got this beaten man who's left dead, in in great need of medical attention. And, And then we have some people that start passing by seeing this situation. First, you have the religious men, identified as a priest and a Levite. Uh, the priests, you know, they're clearly religious people. They perform religious duties. And then Jesus says there's also a Levite that passed by. The Levites were the assistants to the priests. And so they also perform religious duties. They, they, these men walk by separately, but these are the first two characters. They see this injured man on the side of the road, and they see him more like a nuisance to avoid. Um, they don't stop. You'd expect, though, because of their profession, that these guys, certainly the religious people, would stop and would care for his wounds. Or maybe they would pray, but they just avoid the injured man. Maybe they thought that their service to God was fulfilled for the day. Maybe they'd already attended worship. They put their offerings in the basket. Uh, They, you know, they did their religious duties for the day. So they saw no obligation to help this man in need because, I mean, they didn't do anything to hurt him. Or maybe they were thinking, you know, I don't have time for this. It's not, it's not in my business. Someone else is going to help him. Well, whatever they're thinking, and we don't want to read into this too much, they just avoid coming into contact with this man. So they, scripture says, they just passed him by. Now, I don't know about you, but if you consider yourself religious, what would you do in this situation? Now, I'm sure many of you consider yourself religious. What moves your heart to compassion? Sometimes we just wall people. Off. We, we wall off the hurts of the world, we wall off the problems of the world, and we just say, well, it's just not my problem. What, what slows you down in order to say, hey, it's time to help, it's time to stop and to care? I was raised in a home where, and I have all sorts of funny memories of my dad picking up hitchhikers when I was young. And I would be in the car with him, and, and he would pick someone up on the side of the road, someone that I wasn't sure that we could trust. And my dad would say, "Where are you heading?" And he would just, mean pick them up, you know. He opened the door, and we'd take people distances. Sometimes thirty minutes. Sometimes it was on our way. Sometimes my dad would go out of the way. I remember one time we we drove a guy three and a half hours, <laughs> all the way from San Jose to the home to our home. And and or I remember my dad, he would just step into these tense situations where a fight was about to erupt, and he would step into these moments in order to help settle things down, in order to try to help people have peace. And he would do that out of love for people or a care for people. And my dad is, uh, he's a small guy, and I often thought, what's, what's gotten into him? Uh, but my dad was a, he was a religious man. I mean, he, if you know my dad, many of you do, my dad's a pastor. But beyond that, beyond the title, beyond the role, the profession, my dad would literally give you the shirt off of his back. And I've seen this. I've seen my dad do this over and over. And so th- sometimes in my life, having been raised in, in my parents' house as an adult, I mean, that really began to impact the way that I would relate. And even for our family, the way that we would relate. And so sometimes I see a need and God just alerts me to stop and to do something about it. Sometimes I don't know what to do, but I just stop and I just try to help. Sometimes I see a situation. I don't know what to say. Sometimes I've called some of you. I just, I just don't know what to say, but I just try to fumble through the conversation because God's saying, uh, make a phone call or see how you can be a help. One of the ways that God has prompted me and my wife to love people is we, through the years, have just tried to open up our family life uh, to others. We've opened up our home to college students many times, recent college grads, people who are in transition, uh, and really only one of them was Hispanic. You know, We're Uh, you know, I'm Mexican, my wife is Salvadorian, uh, but we've had all sorts of people living with us. We take people in uh, in their transition years or transition months right after college so that people can stay connected to our congregation or or have the the help that they need uh, as they're looking for work. And so we sort of look at people that have lived here through the years as an extension of our family. But through the years, uh, we just sort of have this Fun, growing family, all these almost like sons and daughters who have lived with us. But what a joy to have come alongside people who have needed some, some assistance or some help through the years. And sometimes this is a God just sort of almost like taps us on the shoulder and says, Hey, you guys can help in this way. Here's an opportunity to love. Help. One time I was driving with my kids, pretty late at night, up Central Avenue, just past the 91 freeway, and we're passing under the freeway overpass, and I can see there's a car uh, that stopped in the middle of the road uh, up against the median and I had all three of my kids with me and I passed these two guys and they were waving uh, to flag me down. And I had my kids with me and so I, I, I pull up alongside them and I could see that they had crashed their car into the median. And so I put my hazards on, I left my oldest son in charge of the van, I pulled up in front of them and I said, Hey, I'm going to be right back and, and I, I ran back to see what was going on and, and it was an uncle and he'd been drinking too much. And he was picking up his nephew from work. His nephew had had a Vons uh, uniform on. And uh, the nephew was so embarrassed, a teenager, probably like 16, 17 years old, and his uncle. And the uncle, uh, he needed help to put a spare tire so he could keep driving home. Uh, and I, I was trying to figure out how to help, but the, the tire wrench that he had wasn't even the right one, didn't fit. But beyond that, you know, he was not in a position clearly to drive. And so his speech was still slurred. And I was concerned that he might hurt someone out there, and so I just, I just was like, I don't know what to do, and I, I, I just said, you know, well, I'll take you guys home, because I just thought I need to just get these guys away from this car. I don't know if that was the right decision. <laughs> it made sense in the moment, and so I put those two men into my, into my minivan, uh, next, right there next to my kids, who were looking at me with this really strange look, like, what are you doing, dad? <laughs> and I, I put the one who was, who was, had been drinking too much up front next to me, and I put the teenager next to two of my kids, and, and, and I drove them home to Marino Valley, not far from my house. And Now, I could have passed by. I probably passed dozens of situations where someone was on the side of the road and needed some help. Uh, but for this moment, I sensed that they needed help and I could help. You know, I hope that our hearts are not too hard to show compassion for people right now. In our, in our city, in our neighborhoods, even in our church, we could ask God for more compassion, for more understanding, for more grace, going in all directions. And look at the example from this text. It's the Samaritan, not the religious people, but the Samaritan who saw an opportunity to meet and minister to the needs of this helpless man. There was, if you know the story about the Jews and the Samaritans, there's tremendous Racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans as almost like uh, half breed. Uh, they were of Jewish descent, but they intermarried, and so they they had a mixed descent. And so the Jews hated and avoided the Samaritans like the plague. And there this hatred. It it's what sets you know up Jesus's point in this story. Jesus is saying this good Samaritan. He reached across the racial lines that divided these two people groups in order to love this man. This Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead, his own religious leaders from his own race wouldn't even stop to to address the need. It's this other person that reaches across racial lines. And Jesus' point here is, he's saying, look, if you want to, if you want to love God and love people, then you can't ignore the needs of people around you who are hurting. Now, I wonder if we don't find ourselves or see ourselves somewhere in this story. Maybe you identify with the thieves of the story. These robbers, they they had hatred. They had selfishness in their hearts, and it came out in their actions. They, they didn't they look at this person uh, who was you know, on the road as a person of value. Uh, they saw the opportunity to exploit. You know what happened in Minneapolis is is really it's nothing new. Hatred, racism, evil, selfishness, injustice, all of these things have been in the human heart since the fall of man. If you look at the Bible and you flip back to the very end of the or the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter four, you have right after Adam and Eve sin and fall, sin enters the world. The next generation, their two sons, in only the second generation of all mankind, we have the first, recording of, the first record of a murder. In, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain is so angry at his brother. He's so jealous of his brother Abel that it, he's, his anger is, is just boiling on the inside. Uh, why? Well, these two brothers offered to God a sacrifice, an offering. And God looked more favorably at Abel's offering. He saw it as more favorable. He And Cain was, was so jealous of that. And so Cain started stewing, got angry, and God actually asks Cain in Genesis chapter 4, why are you so angry? Now the Hebrew word describing this anger, there's different kinds of anger that we have in life, you know that. But the Hebrew word here, it's descri- describing a, a boiling hot. He is incensed, he is burning inside with anger, and he's so angry he could kill. And God saw this and said, why are you so angry? Why are you so hot? And Cain didn't repent of his anger, and because of it, he murdered his own brother. That same anger can reside in the human heart. And this tragedy of the murder of George Floyd can only be dealt with at the heart level. This is a heart issue. Our only solution for the core problems in our fallen world is renewed and changed hearts. And the only cure for the human heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why we exist as a church, to bring the good news of the gospel to a world that is looking for change, but in all the wrong places. The world around us is looking to solve the problems, the core problems of hate, of racism, of injustice, with secular, social, and cultural solutions, but the world's solutions aren't solving the problems. Instead, it's like we're on a treadmill running, trying to solve problems. Now, when are we going to take God at his word and guide our lives by God's word. The solutions are found right here. As you get to know God and his heart. And as you get into God's word. And you discover God's ways. You start learning about how he wants you to live. When Jesus says go and do likewise. You know you, you start living out in very practical ways. How to love people. Does God want love? Does he want compassion? Does he want justice? Yes. And and maybe right now as I'm looking at this passage. Maybe you identify A little too closely with the thieves and the robbers who who saw an opportunity to exploit. And maybe there's something lurking in your heart right now that God wants you to deal with. Maybe there's some anger that is just being fueled and some bitterness that is is growing and, and infecting other aspects of your life. Maybe God right now is saying it's time to repent and yield your way, yield your heart to Jesus. That's the only way real change will come. Or maybe you can identify with the Good Samaritan, the character in the story who, who stopped to meet that need. If if that's you, keep it up. Keep loving people. Keep keep your eyes open. Keep serving the people around you. Uh, you know, I, I told you a story about helping those two guys who had crashed. Not, not long after that, only a few months later, my wife was in a similar situation. Our car broke down. And nobody would stop to help her. Nobody would stop to... to you know, to assist her. And she's got my kids in the car. She needed help. Well, who would stop? A young, probably college-age black man stopped, was so kind to her, and just helped her uh, get to safety. And, you know, it's interesting how, as we love people, whether they're like us or not like us, how God uh, meets our needs and extends his love to us through other people. He reciprocates uh, That same love we offer to others, we experience that through the hands of others. I wonder, though, if most of us more identify with the religious character of this story. I wonder if we would say, yeah, I kind of can identify with the priest and the Levite. The point is this, then. The great commandment, it's God's simple truth of how we're to love people. And as important as this passage is, it really is, uh, we need to take this to heart. You see, this is improbable. This is an improbable story. A Samaritan befriending a Jew. How much more are we to care for our neighbor? I mean, so who, who is that? Who is the person in your path today? Who, who, who is in your path, but who do you totally miss and why do you miss them? The next few weeks, as we flesh out this series a little further, we're going to look at some of the reasons we miss people on our path. One of the reasons is, as I mentioned earlier, is time. We don't make the time. We don't think we have the time. Another reason that we'll look at in a few weeks is fear. We're afraid of people. We're afraid if they don't act like us, look like us, live like us, have our backgrounds, uh, there's a fear factor. And then the last week of this series, we're going to look at values. Uh, we, we may find that we don't have the value uh, of that, that would lead us to actually love people. And so who are those people who live in the regular orbit of your daily life. Those people are your neighbors. And actually, let's break down the actions of the Good Samaritan, just real quickly. First, first action is it involved compassion. That's the first thing. You, You do this by placing yourself in another person's shoes or in their position, and then you act in the way that you would want others to act if that were you. So you put yourself in their shoes and you show compassion. That's a starting point. The second thing is it involves contact. This is where you refuse to allow a person to stay in the condition that he or she was in. Uh, you, You basically, you pull alongside them to help them. You see the need and you start responding appropriately. So you make contact. Third is care. This interaction involved care. Once you make contact with a person in the path of your daily life, you start encouraging them, you start caring about them, you care for them, you inspire them, you reassure them, you check in on them. The fourth thing is it involves a cost. You know, a, a life and a ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. I think the expert of the religious law and the religious leaders in, this, in the Good Samaritan story, were, were, they were trying to define neighbor as someone that they could just sort of pick and choose who they should care about. And so that way, if they can pick and choose, and if we can pick and choose who we can care about, it costs us less time. It costs us less energy, less investment, less involvement. There's not much cost. And in that way, if we do that, we can sort of control our own agenda of who we want our neighbor to be. But Jesus, he would have none of that. That is the point of the story. That's not his way. He said, your neighbor is actually the person who's in your lane. It's the person that is on your path during the day. It's Your neighbors are those people who actually live in the regular orbit of your daily life. I want to look at Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. It reads, And he made, meaning God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So God made out of one man, that's Adam, everybody, all nations uh, across the planet to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. What this is saying is God has determined when you would live, when you would walk the planet, like what years you'd be here and where you would live, the boundaries of your dwelling place, like the exact places you would live, the exact time you would live, meaning you're not an accident. Your life is not an accident. God has a purpose for your life. And He want, part of that purpose, he wants you to seek and to find him. And he also wants you to love the people who, that he's put at this time and at this place, the people he's put near you. Loving your neighbor is a call to love whomever God has put in front of you and even around you. Not just the ones you're most comfortable with or the ones that look like you or act like you. You know, the thing is, we know the story of the Good Samaritan. If you're a church person, you've heard this story before. If you're not a church person, you've heard this story. You've heard the golden rule, you know, love my neighbor as myself or love your neighbor as yourself but I wonder how many of us actually live like the religious guys and not like the good Samaritan. And I wonder if we excuse ourselves from the call of Jesus to know and love our actual neighbors, our literal neighbors, like the, the people next door, the people across the street, because you know, that just doesn't fit into my timetable or my plans. And so here's the question for all of us, and, and I'm not mad at anyone. <laughs> here's the question, though. Have you considered... And let's consider together taking the great commandment, literally. When Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he wanted to capture what it would look like if a person who had nothing to gain would take literally what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Samaritan in the story, he saw an opportunity. As messy as it was, he saw an opportunity opportunity to come to the aid of the man, and he did it. And in doing so, he became an example of how we ought to respond to others and at the same time reveal the nature of Jesus and loving God in this way? What, what would happen if, if every Christ follower in Riverside, in Merino Valley, in Harupa, in Paris, in this area, or in your town, what would happen if, if we built relationships with the people closest to us and practically loved our neighbors? What would it look like for you to move yourself from stranger to acquaintance, and then even from acquaintance, to relationship. What would happen? Look, for most of us, we can only do a few things really well with our life. But let's make sure that one of those things we do really well is the thing that Jesus actually said matters the most. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, a good neighbor always trumps a good program that we could put together at our church. So be a good neighbor. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Here's what I'd like all of us to do. Would you be willing to learn to retain, and to use the names of your closest neighbors, those people around you. So here's the application for today. First thing, draw a map of the eight closest houses or apartments or housing units to yours. Draw a map. Put yourself in the middle. Draw a literal map of your physical neighborhood. Second thing, write down the names of the neighbors who live in the eight closest houses to your own. If you don't know their names, find find them out. Introduce yourself. Write their names down. It may take you a few weeks, but start this project. The point of this is to see if we know our neighbors. If Really, the point of the exercise is to see if we know our neighbors' names to begin with. Because really, it's hard to love our neighbor if we don't know their name. Here's the third thing. Pray for each household. That's it. For now, just start praying. That's the challenge. Fill in the eight households, write their names, and begin to pray for each person in your neighborhood, in your block, in your area, in your apartment complex. And next week, we're going to look at the issue of time because there's a time factor to consider, what do I do with that? Now, one other thought, Uh, we're the family of God, meaning we're to interact like a family, like a functional family, not a dysfunctional family. You know, a functional family, a healthy family talks to one another. They interact with one another. I, I, I just, I want to caution you in regards to all that's going on right now. I want to caution you and encourage you to consider how you're, interacting within the family. If you're a person who uses social media, then I want to caution you with how you post and, and, and even how you may generalize the situation on social media. You see, families talk to each other face to face. We interact. We're, we're a church of different ages, different stages, different races, different colors, different, you know, different socioeconomic background. We have blue collar, we have white collar. We're this family. We love each other. And we've served each other, many of you, for years. Let's, as a church, pull together. Let's protect our unity as the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, take a look. We're told this, as the church, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm asking you to help with that, to protect the unity of, of OCC. All week long, I, I've been in conversations in our congregation. And some of those conversations have been with people in our church who are hurting. and 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 maybe... Some of you right now um, are are really wrapped up even in social media. And maybe right now you just need to take a break from social media. And instead of posting another thing or worrying so much about your reputation on social media, maybe instead uh, go talk to someone in the family about the hurt they're experiencing. Conversations are crucial. They're helpful. Also, another thing is don't decide right now what people should or shouldn't do in this time. Don't decide uh, how everyone else should act. Instead, let's go to God. Let's go to His Word. Let's be guided by His Word, and let's let God's Spirit lead us forward. Let's not be like the lawyer in the story of the Good Samaritan who knew what God wanted but failed to do it. Instead, let's love each other deeply. Uh, Before we totally wrap up, uh, we want to highlight something pretty exciting. That is, we don't want to go unnoticed in our congregation We have a number of graduates and so we've got some high school graduates and we have a number of undergrad and college and then grad school grads some of them have submitted photos to us and so we've just got a brief video we know that there's many others that didn't submit photos to us uh, but we just want you to know we celebrate your graduation and so let's take a look Hey, graduates of 2020, we celebrate this accomplishment. Uh, We're praying for you. We thank God for what he's done in your lives. For some of you, we know we aren't even going to see again because of the way that the coronavirus wrapped up the school year. We know some of you have have moved on even out of this area. Uh, We just want to just say congratulations. Pay us a visit when when you're in the area. Stop by and say hi. And then for all of you watching, one of the ways, another way we can practice this message is we can serve and we can show we care about our neighbors right now. By celebrating graduates. Uh, This whole season of graduation has not looked at all like what students imagined it would look like. Everything was canceled. And so if if you have a graduate in your life, and I would also say if you have a graduate on your block, what a great way to love your neighbor, literally. To write a card. You know, it's nice because all the graduates have signs. Their parents are so proud of them. They've got signs on their lawns, on their driveways. And so uh, you can literally love your neighbor. You can write a card and just say, and you can get, you can get somebody a gift card or some cash. I mean, you know that's always going to help a graduate out. But you can show people you care, even if you don't know them well. You could just say, "Congratulations, graduate!" from your neighbors, the Delarosas, or wh- whoever you are watching. I hope that you'll love your neighbors and you'll love the graduates on your block and in your life through this season. This kind act might be the gesture that cracks open the door for future relating, and it's one way that you and I, again, we can follow, and practice the great commandment. So I hope you'll join us next week as we keep walking through this series of messages. I certainly have a lot more to say on this subject, and so uh, you know, I hope you'll come back next Sunday. And uh, we love you all, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time and the your word, the word of God. And thank you for the, the way it anchors us when uh, we get tossed around uh, by the challenges and issues and problems and hurts and, um, and struggles. Your word anchors us. And so, Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in knowing you and in walking with you. Uh, please, Lord, would you heal those who are hurting? Would you bridge uh, the divides that exist? And would you help us, Lord, to love one another deeply? We ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.